Welcome back to the Own Your Potential podcast, where you'll hear stories from leaders across the globe about how they've taken control of their career growth and lessons on how you can too. I'm Peter Sherba, and today I'm very excited to be sitting down with Edwin Krenz, who's the chief program engineer of the Ford Mustang at the Ford Motor Company. Just before we jump into this fantastic episode, I wanted to quickly call out that at the time of recording, Edwin was the chief program engineer of the Ford Mustang, and he has since taken on the incredibly exciting and new opportunity of being the chief program engineer of the Ford Bronco. On that note, let's get to the interview. Ed, very excited to have you on the podcast. I'm a huge car enthusiast, particularly sports and performance cars, so it's genuinely an honor to have the proclaimed mayor of Mustang on, on to chat but before we get into the really exciting stuff, why don't you take us through your career and personal journey leading up to today? Hey, Peter, thanks. Thanks for having me uh, and giving me the of opportunity course. to talk about Mustang because uh, that is the best thing to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so so uh, a little bit about the journey, right? So uh, grew up in southeastern Michigan, just outside of Detroit. Uh, my dad is a a Ford Motor Company uh, retiree after 32 years. Um, so I sort of grew up in and around Ford products. Uh, interestingly, I wouldn't necessarily consider him a car guy, at least the guy I knew growing yeah. up. Uh, but uh, before me, uh, he was a uh, Mach 1 owner. And he was ah, very proud very of that cool. car. Very proud of that car. Uh, unfortunately, my mother refused to learn how to drive a manual. And that car uh, was not long for that. Um, but yeah, grew up in southeastern Michigan, grew up under uh, in the shadow of the Blue Oval, uh, dad working there. Um, I would say my interest, younger interests were, were uh, I was affected by cars. Like when I saw a cool car or a cool truck, I would, as a little kid, I remember drawing pictures of them. Yeah. Um, I certainly appreciated the design of them, uh, yeah. but I didn't much, uh, didn't much uh, take them apart, assemble them. Um, wasn't like a, uh, mechanic, um, probably when I was about 13, 14 years old, my, uh, my dad had a, uh, red Mustang Fox body 86 cool. Mustang convertible. Uh, he actually did not much care for that car. Uh, wasn't so good at keeping water out. Um, <laughs> it was from my perspective, uh, that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen, uh, yeah. that he had brought home from work. Um, moving forward. I uh, went to school studying engineering really because that's what my dad did. Um, I can't speak for uh, mo- uh, for successful people, but I can certainly speak for myself that when I was 18 years old, I really had no concept of what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, yeah. I, math came easy to me, science I enjoyed. So I figured while I'm in the process of figuring out what I want to be, uh, we'll just go into engineering following my dad's footsteps. I uh, did a f- uh, four years at the University of Michigan uh, in mechanical engineering, actually material science engineering, very specific. Very cool. Uh, and that opened the door uh, to me ultimately to uh, do some internships with Ford Motor Company. Uh, originally talked to Toyota. Um, they... Uh, uh, but ended up with Ford in the manufacturing world, uh, doing a couple summer internships. And I will tell you, I was 
as far away from the end product and customer as I think you can get at Ford Motor <laughs> Company. I was so, so far down the food chain. Yeah. Like I, I worked on in an iron foundry. And, oh, uh, and not only did they make cylinder heads and cylinder blocks, and not only is it the dirtiest place to work, but um, they also made manhole covers and other things. So if, if my paycheck didn't <laughs> save, if my paycheck didn't say Ford, I'm not sure I would have even known that I worked at Ford. Wow! Uh, but it was a start. And uh, so I was able to get through uh, school, had a job at Ford in manufacturing uh, and, um, you know, didn't really talk to, didn't interview out of school. That was just what I was going to do. And I was, uh, I was locked in. Um, so no regrets on that. And then once you're within Ford Motor Company or any other big company for that matter, um, what your degree says, what your expertise is, yeah, um, is entirely irrelevant in a hurry. Yeah, and uh, and the company uh, offers so many opportunities to to find what really uh, motivates and, and inspires you, and uh, it's a learning, continuous learning process about yourself and what you like to do, what you're good at doing. Um, and, uh, I was given pretty much every opportunity to, to learn that about myself through my, uh, through my 28 years at the Ford motor company. Um, so the journey, um, as I said, started in manufacturing, uh, at the, I, uh, while my, in my early years, uh, completed a master's degree through Purdue University, this time specifically yeah. in mechanical engineering with a specialty in nonlinear combustion. Um, you know, in retrospect, uh, combustion, mechanical engineering, um, I didn't necessarily uh, nail it with where the market was going and the <laughs> yeah. uh, emphasis on software and electrification. To that end, and I'm not necessarily proud of this, so you can edit it, but I had to take one electrical engineering class at U of M <laughs> and um, 30 or 35% of the grade was writing a software program in Fortran. And uh, I, uh, I figured with the curve, I could, I could nail a B minus if I did everything other than the software program. So I didn't even bother trying. <laughs> so I, I just figured I, why would I ever need to know anything about software? Yeah. So, so put a pin in that. Cause, uh, as I get through my uh, experience at Ford here, uh, that will become a very unfortunate, uh, point of reference. Uh, so anyway, work, working at Ford, um, immediately got, uh, on my own established set up in a house, couple buddies, uh, living with me and I was, I was living the dream. Um, yeah. you know, it was just, uh, the best time of my life. Uh, you know, every day is better than the last. And if my wife's listening, of course, every, <laughs> every, every day post-marriage is better than that. Uh, but we, we had a great time, uh, learned a lot, became, a, you know, became a functional adult, uh, during that time. Um, and then within Ford, I, I recognized pretty quickly that I didn't necessarily want to work on castings forever. Right. Uh, so completing that degree from Purdue in mechanical engineering, um, I had the opportunity to work uh, in a couple different points early in my career with a, uh, well, at the time was an engineering supervisor and soon an engineering manager. 
whose name is uh, Bob Facetti, and he is a uh, he's now a retiree from Ford. He retired as vice president of powertrain at Ford Motor Company. Um, but at the time that I met him, you know, he was you know low level management supervisor. Um, but it, you know, it became clear that, uh, he was a guy that, uh, I wanted to work with wherever I could. It was more yeah. about the relationships and, you know, the teams you're working with than it necessarily was exactly what you did on a day-to-day basis. Um, so I learned this very early and, uh, worked with Bob to get me out of manufacturing and into product development as a exhaust system design and release engineer. We sort of scammed the moving between disciplines between uh, like manufacturing finance product development in a in the company can be a little difficult um so we we made an argument that with my degree being in combustion that i really needed to move out of manufacturing and into something combustion related which was exhaust systems engineering uh which is what i ultimately moved into um and then went from there into a uh a job launching the 2001 Ranger as a powertrain lead. Very so cool. I lived lived in Edison, uh, New Jersey, and uh, Twin Cities, Minnesota, and we uh, we launched Ranger for a year. In the during that time, uh, got married. Uh, my wife was working with us at Ford. She was actually on the launch team as an agency employee. Um, so cool. it was becoming a again a family business, just like it was with my dad. Now I had my uh, uh, my wife there with me uh, working. Um, so launch was one of the best jobs I ever had. I mean, I was still relatively low early in my career, low level. Yeah. Um, but I absolutely it was a it was a defined team with a defined purpose, working around the clock, supporting each other, working hard, having working hard, playing hard. Um, it was just a great time. Yeah, absolutely. A great time. And, um, yeah, those people, um, you know, became like family at that time and, and became friends, you know, thereafter. And, uh, I still run into, um, uh, those, uh, the people I worked with that are still with the company. And, uh, you know, we, we smile about our time working on, on the, uh, Ranger, uh, launch, but all good things come to an end. You know, we, uh, finished that up. And we moved uh, moved back to Dearborn, and uh, pretty quickly after that, I was nominated for a new program at Ford called Product Development Leadership Program. And this is oh, very cool. This uh, started in two thousand one, and it was meant uh, so the typical career development process at Ford, if you're in a technical discipline, is you develop. Uh, a significant amount of expertise in something. Right. All right. And then once you've demonstrated expertise, then you, uh, then you develop breadth. So it's sort of the T models, what we call it. I don't know right. if that's generic, generically uh, accepted term, but you did, you, you have a significant amount of uh, experience and then you uh, build on that and develop breadth. Um, that model um while successful for developing a technically capable organization, uh, does not really allow for people to progress quickly. Right. Uh, and uh, aspire to leadership positions. So they needed a, a bit of a workaround or a fast track process. And uh, so I was part of the first class 
Uh, we took about 10 people from within all of Ford, which is obviously a very small percentage. Right. And then we took some people from outside of Ford, uh, really as a bit of a social experiment around changing culture. Right. And uh, the whole point of the program was, you know, change, change how we think um, from the inside out and develop leaders that think differently. Um, and thinking differently has always been a theme. You never nail it and say, okay, I'm done. Now I stop thinking differently. Yeah. Um, so even, even 20 years ago, that was, that was something that was valued within the company. Um, I think it was an interesting study around injecting people without automotive experience into a massive company right? without knowing, uh, having a network without knowing processes and knowing how to work around processes. It was, it's a very interesting experiment around how, at what level can you uh, indoctrinate people that can, <laughs> can actually be successful and change and change the business. And I'm not, I'm not entirely sure it was at that level. Um, but what that, uh, for me, I gotta say one other thing. So as I said, um, sort of the first mentor I had was Bob Facetti. He's, he's the right. one that got me into product development, saved me from manufacturing. Um, he was also on the interview committee for the product development leadership program. Right. Um, I had, they were taking 10 people. I finished like 10 B in the interviews. Like I was tied for last or tied for 10th, not last, <clears throat> but it wasn't clear, you know, whether they're going to take me or somebody else. Right. Uh, and, and Bob sort of intervened at that point. So just, just take this guy. I know him. I'll, I'll vouch for him. He'll be all right. Yeah. So, so again, uh, not so much what I knew, but you know, who I knew and, uh, and those relationships were really important to get me the opportunity to participate in a leadership program. Um, from there, the leadership program assigned us, um, uh, advocates, you know, senior leaders in the company that would really sponsor our career development, help us develop a career plan. Um, this, uh, leadership program was about three to four years in length and it involved many, uh, say six to nine month assignments in different disciplines of the company, whether it's manufacturing or marketing or engineering. Um, it really gave you the opportunity to figure out what you were good at, what you liked, but also a, an idea of, of how the company really operated, um, which a lot of people don't get to, um, experience when they're looking at, um, the company only from the perspective that they have. Right. You real you realize very quickly that any problem or any issue is a bit like looking at a beach ball. No matter where you're sitting, you see a different color. That's right. And, and if you, if you're not smart enough to know what you're looking at, right, you'll you'll think the beach ball's red, and you won't recognize why somebody else thinks it's yellow or purple or orange. Um, and I think the the point of this program is to really um, drive home that fact that there are multiple perspectives, um, and the better you can understand that, the better of a leader you can be, because you're right. really looking for for outcomes that uh, everybody uh, can live with. Uh, but what I really learned after doing three years of various assignments, including a nine month assignment at a um, Michigan assembly plant, which currently builds the Bronco um, after running, cool. produ after running a production line there on the night shift for nine months, when people thought I was undercover police, that um, <laughs> um, again, it, 
wasn't so much what I was contributing or what I was doing. Um, but it was the, what was the real benefit of that whole program was getting to know, uh, people and a network and continue to expand that network. And, uh, as a result of that, um, um, was promoted out of that program to my first manager job in about 2003. My advocate champion that was assigned to me actually is the one that promoted me. I was in the process of interviewing for jobs and oh, cool. he calls me up and says, you can cancel the interviews because you've been promoted to manager of diesel controls. Uh, to which my first question is, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and does it involve software? Because I skipped that class. And he said, <laughs> he said yep, it involves software. I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. Uh, I knew that was going to come back to get me. Yeah. So, uh, so I spent um, the next five years, <clears throat> both in, uh, in the Detroit area and overseas, as a manager of powertrain control systems. Um, both the development of software features and the integration into hardware and the control systems um, associated with it. Right. Um, never in that five years did I, did I become uh, a technical expert. Right. Uh, so what I, what I learned there is um, it's not about being the smartest person in the room. It's about being smart enough to listen to the smartest person in the room. Mm. And, um, you know, I didn't, uh, I tried to become competent in the language and the f- technical uh, development, soft, sort of system V development of control systems and software. Um, but I was sort of, uh, if you will, managing a bit of a black box from a technical perspective, right? I didn't really know how things worked in this box or in this space. Right. Um, so I managed outcomes, I managed inputs, and I uh, helped the team with whatever they said they needed my help with to be successful, right? Which is right. sort of the servient leadership model. And I was, I really had no choice at that point because I wasn't going to lead, technically be a leader in this. It was, it was going to have to be uh, leveraging more leadership skills. Right. Um, and for any engineer, that's... Um, that's, that's a difficult thing to get your head around. Um, you know, we're all proud of what we do and how accomplished we are in a space and that we can help others and lead others. Um, to be picked up and put into a space that you have none of that background, none of that wheelbase. Yeah. Um, and to have to rely on, rely on and even develop soft skills, right, is... Uh, um, was an interesting uh, challenge for me. So um, really enjoyed the time there. It's, it certainly, as I said, developed management and leadership skills, um, but ultimately uh, finished my time in powertrain controls, spent about a year doing engine systems. So I was responsible for a uh, what used to be the 6.2 liter V8 engine that went into uh, the Raptor. Very cool. Uh, first generation Raptor and also the uh, 6.7 liter power stroke diesel, which is still exists in the Super Duty at right. somewhere over a thousand foot pounds of torque. Um, spent a small amount of time, maybe a year in that role. And then uh, was 
was able to uh, move into a more of an integration job. So at the at that point in time, at that time, I was able to um, become responsible for the total function of powertrain, and I was aimed to deliver it into specific vehicle programs. So I was getting progressively closer and closer. Uh, to the end product and to the customer, and yeah. as I w- and as I was making that journey, I realized that that's really the part of the business that uh, inspired me and motivated me. You know, some people like to be a, an engineer of a gear, right, or, or love software code. Um, none of those things really were, uh, you know, inspiring to me. Um, but when I became responsible to deliver the powertrain into the sixth generation Mustang um, and was working very closely with the vehicle team and supporting customer events and um, even doing some work with the media launch, um, that was a completely different world to me. And it was yeah. one that I, uh, I think I actually uh, really appreciated. And I also um, enjoyed the idea of the systems engineering and the systems approach and delivering uh, an entire team uh, to execute a vehicle program. Uh, but what, one of the things that really resonated with me is, is doing working on a vehicle program is a bit like, you know, raising a child or, or something like that, right? You, there's a, yeah. there's a very clear start and then there's a clear, you know, finish, you know, goal line, if you will. And um, every day you're singularly focused on, you know, maturing that product and getting it ready to launch into the market. Whereas every other job I had done before that, you sort of work on all the vehicle programs and they're all at different points in time. And you're just sort of doing the same thing every day. You don't, Right. You don't associate yourself with any specific program and therefore there's no real start. There's no real finish. It's just a continuum journey, um, you know, identifying problems and solving problems and finding better ways to do things, whatever the case may be. And again, a lot of, a lot of people that really resonates for them. Yeah. Uh, but for me to actually create something and say, we did that. Um, that's where I, at that point in my career, uh, that's where I learned that that's what I wanted to do. So I, it became my mission to uh, to move from powertrain uh, into vehicle programs, and that's what I wanted to do. Uh, but it was not as easy as that. It's not as simple as asking. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a there's a bit of a long line for that, and that's right. uh, specific skill sets. And um, again, I was. You know, I was asking to do something that I didn't necessarily have a lot of experience with. I was personally comfortable with that because, you know, I demonstrated to myself in the past that I can, you know, I don't need technical depth in something in order to be able to lead it. Um, and ultimately, I got a phone call from um, another important person in my career named Dave Parasek. Dave Parasek was the chief engineer for the sixth generation Mustang, also known as the S550. And um, so I worked with him very much uh, delivering the powertrain to him, but he was, he was doing the total vehicle. Right. And he was kind of a rock star, right? I mean, he, they had film crews following him around and <laughs> uh, we, we did the movie uh, Faster Horses, uh, which documented the whole development of the car. 
Um, so it was, it was a big deal and it was very exciting to be part of. Uh, Dave was that lead for that program. And then after the program completed, he became the director of uh, Ford Performance, which is the right. first time that we brought um, motorsports, Ford Racing, what used to be SVT, Special Vehicle Team Products. Right. Um, brought all of those things under one lead. Uh, and Dave was that guy. And he was responsible for the Ford GT supercar and taking that to Lamar. Wow. He was responsible for Shelby programs and Raptor programs and Focus RS in Europe and ST products. Um, and then also the racing, you know, the everything from NASCAR to drag to rally car. Yeah. Um, and GT3 with the uh, with the uh, Ford GT going to Lamar. So you know, he had an awesome job. Um, yeah. he, went, he went from the awesome job of Mustang to even a more awesome job running Ford Performance. And he calls me one morning. I think I'm off that day because I was asleep. Wife hands me the phone, says it's Dave. Okay, Dave. And five minutes later, uh, I was the chief functional engineer of Ford Performance. So, wow. um, yeah, he brought me over there to do all the on-road program engineering. So Raptors, Shelby's, RS, STs, all the on-road stuff, not the racing stuff, but the stuff we sell. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I took over as the engineering lead for that. And at that point in time, <clears throat> this is, was super impactful on me. It was the 100 to 150 people that work in Ford Performance are the uh, most passionate, most enthusiast, enthusiastic um, group of people I ever worked with. Um, yeah. Their expectations of themselves and of the products they work on. Yeah. Um, you know, they set an extremely high standard and they hold everybody around them, including their management accountable to that standard. Um, so that, that level of passion and enthusiasm when you're surrounded by it, um, becomes like, like caffeine. Uh, yeah. it, it's a, it's a drug and, uh, it's addictive. And, um, coupling that with the ability to then use these performance products in the environment that they were designed to at the limits that they were designed for, such as taking a Raptor to uh, our um, our desert test locations, and you're yeah. running 100 miles per hour across the desert floor. You know, reading the terrain because you can you can easily uh, hurt yourself in the vehicle if you don't read the terrain correctly. Yeah. But just the the capability of of a production vehicle to to drive like a trophy truck effectively in in that environment, and then the um, and then the Mustangs taking those to the racetracks, like, of course. Um, so that's where I became a car guy, like yeah. an eff effectively a car guy was uh, during those three or four years with the Ford Performance Group. It was hardwired into me at that point. Um, so, you know, I, I went from kind of being a leader and having manager managerial aspirations to now being that plus wanting to work on great products. Right. Um, and uh, in that time, I was uh, became the chief engineer for the Ford GT supercar. Wow. Uh, and then uh, ultimately for the Ford GT Mark II, which was a $1.2 million track only supercar. Yep. Um, did some of the um, 
special editions of that product like liquid carbon and heritage products and mid-cycle action power improvement. Um, also launched the GT500, um, which you know was a widely, uh, uh, a very impressive vehicle, very well yeah. received by the media. You know, it, it competed with uh, very premium performance vehicles, you know, Porsches and AMGs. Yeah, it was uh, for its. It was a tremendous value, and for for what uh, for what it was, it it set a new um, definition of what a Mustang could be. Right. Absolutely. So th- those those working on those products with that team was was awesome. Um, and you, you sort of knew. Uh, that that might have been the pinnacle of uh, what anybody could ask to do in their career. Um, and then uh, then I was given the next opportunity uh, to be the chief engineer for Mustang through some retirements and program delays and some other circumstances that I had nothing to do with. Um, I was going to have the opportunity to, uh, to walk from uh, Ford Performance Vehicles and, and start work on the seventh generation Mustang, uh, yeah. which started, uh, basically at the end of 2019. Oh, wow. Um, so it's a job I felt, a, a somewhat prepared for. Um, I was familiar with Mustangs. Uh, I was somewhat familiar with, with being a, what a chief engineer meant, but what I wasn't familiar with is, um, being a chief program engineer for nearly a billion dollar program, right? That's, yeah. um, and, and being squarely in the mainstream of, of what Ford Motor Company does uh, rather than sort of in a satellite, almost like a startup world of Ford performance. Yeah. Uh, th- this was, this was mainstream, right? And this was going to get the full weight of Ford management help. Right. Um, and I, and I was also going to have to work with a much bigger team right within ford performance we were we were a self-contained team we knew everything we knew everybody we we get in a room and within that room was the answer to every issue yeah now 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 doing a program like this we uh we had to work across the across the organization across the globe you know some of our team members were in india some are in mexico some are in europe some are in china um not everybody is a car enthusiasts at this point at this time now right so you're yeah. really trying to bring people uh along uh to deliver a vision for the product and first and foremost my job was to have a vision for what the product needed to be um you know the principles the non-negotiables um and then understanding all of the business realities that were around that and the challenges it was going to create and it was uh it was um the most um, challenging three years, specifically given that we decided we would do the program mostly remotely because of COVID. Yeah. Um, so not only did you have to work with you know hundreds of people around the globe, but then all of a sudden your your core team gets blown up, and you're uh, you're trying to figure out how to design a car uh, from your home office. Yeah. Um, so you know that sort of added a level of difficulty um, and. You know, the environment around sports cars and ice engines and environmental policies and regulatory requirements and CO2 compliance, all of this was, is accelerating so quickly right now. And um, what you thought four or five years ago was a right product decision was constantly being informed with new information. 
Um, and I found that to be absolutely, uh, uh, awesome to, uh, to try to navigate not just a static environment, but a very dynamic environment that we were trying to design a new car, um, that was meeting customer needs, uh, but also informed by all of these external factors, you know, our competitors changing their strategy and, yeah, our uh, shift into electric vehicles and everything going on at that time, um, it became critical um, to have that product vision locked in and those principles behind what you were trying to do and and the ability to defend yeah. them at every every turn, whether it was because there was new people uh, coming into the leadership team that didn't understand the product or whether, uh, the, the, again, the external factors really drove you to question is, is this still the right answer? Um, and I obviously firmly believe, uh, what we have, what we have revealed back in September with the uh, seventh generation Mustang and the new all new dark horse, uh, variant as well, uh, absolutely was, the right thing to do. Um, and I think we satisfied an awful lot of our, uh, of our fans and customers oh, yes. with, uh, saving the manual and, uh, saving the V8, uh, and saving the true sort of, um, yeah. obtainable sports car, uh, in the way that people, uh, still know it and appreciate it. Uh, clearly knowing that, Electric vehicles are the future. Uh, the Mustang yeah. Mach-E exists already. Uh, so we certainly give people that choice uh, between uh, the ice, traditional ICE Mustang and a, uh, the fully electrified Mustang. So um, that was, again, I would say, I've said it two or three times through this journey. Again, maybe a career highlight yeah. that I can't possibly hope to top. Um, but very, very proud that we're about to get this Mustang into production and at the dealers and in our customers' hands and in the media's hands and and uh, really uh, roll it out around the globe, which is the uh, what we're going to do next. I'm, I mean, an absolutely unbelievable career journey. I mean, I think anybody, you know, in the automotive world or even in an equivalent, uh, in some other industry, if you, if to, to be part of so many iconic, you know, world beating vehicles, when you talk about Ford GT, when you talk about Shelby products, Raptor products, and now, you know, being one of the last naturally aspirated manual affordable sports cars that you don't have to pay a million dollars for, let's say, right. For some low volume production special from whatever boutique brand it, I mean, to your point, it, it'd be difficult to, to think of, a, of being part of greater things. That said, all of this could have been for not had you gone and worked for Toyota decades ago. So, I mean, would that have ever even flown, even if you had pursued the opportunity within a Ford family, like the one that you were part of? I, I think my family would have, uh, would have just been happy that I wasn't, uh, that I was, uh, funding yeah. my own, uh, <laughs> existence at that point in time. So, so I, I think, uh, no matter who was paying the checks as lo- bills, as long as it wasn't them, I think they would have been okay with it. They were certainly, I think my dad was certainly proud yeah, uh, that I followed in his footsteps uh, for the longest time in my early days of the career. I I, I ran into yeah. a lot of people that knew both of us because he was you know he was still working for 
you know, through like the early 2000s. And, um, you know, it was it was commonly known <laughs> that he was the smart one. And, uh, you know, he would uh, he worked in noise and vibration. You know, he could do Laplace transforms and a whole bunch of math stuff that uh, um, I yeah. just sort of tapped out on at some point. And uh, so I, I would always run into people that would know us and they'd be like, hey, uh, dad's a great yeah. guy. What uh, what happened to you? And uh, I just say I'm more like my mom, you know, I, just, <laughs> and so, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it, it was great to get into Ford. It was great to have my wife join uh, Ford. So, you know, really in the family business, my brother, yeah. unfortunately didn't quite cut it. Uh, oh, no. So he ended, he ended up at GM and, and he, he's still at GM. So, uh, you know, Thanksgivings are a lot of fun with, uh, with all the, with all the automotive uh, banter that we w- might have, but uh um, yeah, I think, uh, I think we're all happy, uh, that we didn't end up at, uh, at a competitor and, uh, uh, they certainly, uh, I can't imagine having a similar journey there that, uh, that, uh, Ford has given me the opportunity. Few brands would have even had the opportunity to do so to across so many different segments and price points have, you know, performance vehicles, whether it's Fiesta ST, Focus ST, Focus RS, all the way through to Ford GT. Uh, but I mean, I think that this is something that is you both unique to the automotive industry. It feels like uh, it's, you know, as somebody who works in consulting, I've worked across seven or eight different industries, 30 plus different clients. And I have had a hard time observing this sort of multi-generational journey through an organization like in automotive and particularly in the American automotive industry, whether it be the Fords or the GMs or the Stellantis of the world. You don't, you don't really see this anywhere else where, you know, grandfather to father to son, you know, with multiple people in a household, all being part of a, of, of a manufacturer and working in different aspects, that sort of family business that you just described. Is, is it relatively common or is it just that it, these stories happen to bubble up because these brands are so passion driven? I just have, I've had a hard time ever seeing this in other industries or organizations. Yeah, I, I, well, first of all, it is it is common. Um, you know, outside of my story, our CEO Jim Farley is uh, of is a generational Ford employee. That you know, speaking of people that went to Toyota, you know, he spent some time at Lexus, but he came home. He, yeah. he, he came home, and he's a he's <laughs> he an, he's an enthusiast. He, he yeah he can he can uh, he can handle a Mustang as well as anybody. At the highest levels, it's it's got a family feel to it, but it's also a massive global company and you're always running into a uh, husband and wife's, yeah. uh, you know, fathers and sons or fathers and daughters. And, um, you know, it's, it's two generation, three generation. It's, um, it's great to see it. It's, it, it provides, you know, it creates a sense of loyalty. I think that, um, maybe you don't see, um, at startups or other tech companies um, that, don't, that don't have as much history. Um, people, um, you know, people maybe more chase uh, their own personal goals and, and not so much align themselves with a specific journey with a company. Um, but uh, certainly in Southeastern Michigan, um, whether it's Ford or GM or Stellantis, you, you do see the generations of people that, uh, yeah. that not only work at the companies, but the car culture that it sort of creates, 
you know, the cars and coffee, um, yeah. just the interest in and respect for, um, you know, great cars, great trucks. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, it exists in other places, but it, it is the density of, of that cart culture in Michigan is, uh, is pretty amazing. Uh, my son has caught the vibe, uh, caught the vibe, uh, from me as well. He's amazing. He's hardcore into, uh, cars. Uh, often accuses me of not being a real car guy because when I drive my uh, GT350R with flat plane crank, um, I'll sometimes turn the music on and he finds that in- <laughs> entirely unacceptable yeah. that you would cover up the soundtrack of a V8 with music. So, you know, he just rolls his eyes at me. Oh, that's hilarious. I actually had the opportunity to inter- introduce my son to Henry Ford III at a, our annual um, Woodward dream cruise we do a mustang alley there where we have that's right you know hundreds if not a thousand mustang owners and uh, henry ford the third was walking around i introduced my son and my son's first comment was his dad's not a real car guy because he doesn't own <laughs> he doesn't own enough mustangs so yeah that's, oh that's, that's what i got to deal with but i certainly appreciate um that he's gonna he's gonna want to pick up right where i left off and uh and uh, as well, maybe my daughter, who's uh, loves her Bronco Sport that she gets to drive around uh, every day. Very cool. I mean, it a hundred percent is something that is so unique, but so cool to just kind of observe and hear these stories about. And you know, in my own experience, maybe the only other industry I've really heard this, and you know, one that strangely very nicely pairs with cars is the like luxury watch industry. You have in Switzerland or in Japan or Germany, you have multi generations of people in these hundred to two hundred year old companies. But that said, though. You you know, shifting more to focus around the engineering aspect of this. One thing that, you know, any of, I've only had a handful of engineers on this podcast, but something that is common uh, as a thread amongst all of you is this idea that as you go from role to role in engineering, you're often going and moving into a space that you have very little experience in. And you're going there on the merit of your ability to have had solved problems in the previous space you're doing engineering in. And so it's demonstrating that you have this toolkit and this and an approach and an ability to, to deal with ambiguity and solution and solve those problems that then through demonstrated success in that space, you're able to go and, and tackle an entirely new problem, which again, I think, you know, when you extrapolate that to maybe more corporate roles, like if you think of people who are analysts or in other fields, let's say, uh, in marketing or otherwise, there's progressions in their career where they're kind of doing the same thing, but at different levels of seniority and maybe expanding their breadth of knowledge, developing a new expertise here or there. But, you know, when you start off as an analyst versus when you're, you know, say, senior manager or director in the same space, the roles are still attacking the same problems. Whereas in engineering, like to go from, you know, diesel power uh, plants to uh, powertrain integration, right? To then Ford Performance, chief engineer across all these products. Like those are entirely different products where you started even from manufacturing. Talk about how challenging that is to, to jump into a space with no experience in the specific application of your engineering skills and have to overcome that and, and perform. Yeah, so it's, um, I think what you're getting at is, um, relatively speaking, the engineering field is so vast yeah. and the, and the disciplines within it are, are, are very different, um, different skills. Um, and when I walked, uh, effectively walked from, uh, component engineering to sort of more system levels to total powertrain into vehicle. 
Um, there were elements of vehicle engineering, you know, whether it's dealing with the studio on seat color and materials or, yeah. or dealing with vehicle dynamics and fundamental primary and secondary ride and handling. There, um, it, was, um, it was clear that nobody, it was clear to me that nobody could be a, a, a master subject matter expert of all those disciplines. Right. right. And at that point it became irrelevant if you're really a subject matter expert of any of them, because it, yeah. it was, it was more around, not to repeat myself, but it was really more around, um, helping experts be successful. And what yeah. I, what I needed to do, um, to meet them in a way that I could help them is, is really understand the first principles of what it was they were working on, the technical first principles, process first principles, whatever it was. Understand the language uh, that they might be speaking, the technical language, of course. Um, and work with them to understand, um, communicate to them what I'm trying to accomplish and what they're trying to accomplish and how those two things converge. Right. Right. And then from there, it's, it's really uh, about empowerment um, and support um, and helping, helping each individual live up to their potential because their success is your success. Absolutely. Um, but it's, it's, um, it's not trying to do their job. It's not trying to do the job better than they do. Um, it is, it is really about, they have one job and you have a different job and you just have to understand how those two things work together and, uh, find, um, find how, how it is that, you know, you check in with them and how you can help them and what they're trying to accomplish and make sure the objectives and goals are all of course aligned. Um, and, and, and as you go through the process somewhat by osmosis, even though it's not, it was never my intent. Um, over time and specifically through problem solving, um, you, you actually become far more literate in a lot of engineering disciplines than you ever really set out to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's certainly one of the, the best parts of being working at the vehicle level. The total vehicle level is, is the problems are so diverse. Right. Um, from supply chain to chip shortages to, um, you know, emissions and safety requirements globally um, to, you know, just a part fails durability uh, and you got to get right. into mechanical loads. Um, you know, the, the number of problems, first of all, there's never a shortage of problems, um, but it is uh, for many of us, it's sort of what we really enjoy doing is, is, is working with the team to solve those things. And, and really you, you, you can't help but learn as you go through those processes. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I think that's, you know, clearly that's a thread that I'll continue to lean on as I, as I go through whatever's next after Mustang. But um, those are things I think that can resonate in any, any sort of line of work engineering or otherwise is, uh, is really um, leading you know, leaving as leading as a servant, um, you know, learning, 
learning what motivates what what uh, what drives people to be successful and how it is that you can help them. Absolutely. And, you know, I think what's really unbelievable is that as you ascended into kind of these chief engineer um, positions, you know, whether it was for performance or now then moving into uh, the Mustang, which being more at the mass market level, right? You're moving into, you know, unknown new spaces, new challenges, new teams, but both contexts with enormous stakes, whether it's the Ford performance vehicles, you know, the ravenous enthusiast communities of these high, uh, you know, performance vehicles, as well as the, the, the critical responses, all of that that comes with that space and how tenuous that audience is and the consumers of those vehicles are. And then moving into Mustang, specifically, the, you know, such an icon for Ford as a brand and just globally and in history for automotive, right? But then also with the importance of the, commercial success of a, of a vehicle like that for, for a brand like Ford, the, the stakes and the pressure of succeeding, but stepping into entirely new challenges that way, it's a lot to deal with. So how, how did you manage that aspect of things, especially since you were going from, you know, into like you described a startup environment with Ford performance where, you know, everybody who you need to solve a problem is in the room to a team that's globally distributed hundreds of individuals, right. With maybe different mindsets, different motives because of the the size of the team. That's there's so many differing factors in play. And yet the stakes common thread are huge. For me, the, uh, there, there may have been pressure, certainly is pressure, uh, but I wouldn't say there was stress. Um, speaking for myself, uh, stress comes from being unprepared. That's when I get, Gosh. that is when I get stressed. Right. Um, but no matter what I'm doing or who I'm doing it with, uh, if I feel like I'm prepared and, uh, I feel like we're doing the right thing and, you know, we have a, you know, we have justifications and, and principles and, a vision of what we're trying to execute. Um, as long as you can stay focused on what's important, because it's very, yeah. it's very easy to lose the plot. The, uh, yeah. you, you can go down a lot of rabbit holes, right. And you've, you've got to, you got to help yourself. You got to help your team keep what's important, important. And, yeah. um, and then, you know, really, um, getting to a level of, um, comfort that you're doing the right things and that you can be successful and you will be successful. Um, at that point, it's, it, there is pressure, but there, as I said, not really stress. And, um, you know, it certainly when we revealed the vehicle, revealed the car in September, um, yeah, there was certainly a, a relief to that, right? Cause it was, um, it was very, very well received. Yeah, um, you know, from a content, from a design perspective, right? You have a lot of people um, telling you whether you got it right or wrong. Like you had your yeah. own, you had your own, you had your own feeling. You had a level of confidence, um, and you you do as much research as you can, uh, but you never know until you know. And um, you know, so cer certainly there was a, a level of anxiety uh, getting up to the end of this, and like did we really do everything right? And, uh, did we, yeah. did we make all the right decisions? Um, and I feel like, uh, you know, 
we, we've received that positive confirmation that says, yeah, this, this is, this is the right, this is the right Mustang at the right time. Yeah. Um, and uh, once people get the opportunity to drive it, it'll be even next level. Cause looking at it, it's yeah. one thing, right? It's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be sexy and it's gotta be attractive and it's gotta be instantly recognizable for what it is. Yeah. You know, brand is so important on things um, like a Mustang or Apple or whatever, you know, you instantly recognize these things. Yeah. Um, so we certainly think we got that right, but now, now it has to perform. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's our next thing to demonstrate. And then we have to do that over and over again with quality. Uh, Cause that is, that is certainly our, one of our biggest challenges is uh, continuing to execute this level of complex systems right uh and technologies and to do it with uh repeatability and quality because the customer doesn't care uh if it either works or it doesn't yeah and i mean i think the really interesting part is that when you have already publicly and critically celebrated vehicles like the gt 350r or the the gt 500 that are recognized as world-beating performance cars you know you don't have to look very far as a benchmark to, to know when you compare the new product to one of those existing icons, right. That you were part of as well to, to know that you've got a, a really strong product, but you know, are you conscious of the fact when you're working on these products, particularly with this um, generation of Mustang now that, that is that just been re- released right this year or last year uh, th- you know, th- this is going to be one of the last of its kind, right? This is, you know, to your point, manual transmission, naturally aspirated, you know, no electrification as of yet, right? And the whole world around it is moving in that direction. You've got primarily EV or automatic or turbocharged or hybrid performance cars, even in this price range. So this is a legacy defining thing, not just for Ford, but then also for yourself. You'll forever be able to look back and say, I was part of that that generation, I, I led that generation of Mustang. Is that something you're conscious of in terms of the legacy aspect of this for you personally? Uh, for me personally, I, I don't know that we've, um, that I've spent a lot of time on, on the legacy of the whole thing. Um, yeah. I think it's, you're, you're just very much in the moment. I will say as we went through our three year journey to this point as a team, we were cognizant that it could be. Yeah. Uh, um, the last of its generation. Um, it's possible that it isn't, but it certainly could be. Yeah. And, um, you know, to that end, you have to celebrate it. You have to, you have to do it justice and, um, you had to put everything into it. Right. And if, if it is, if it's, uh, if it is a swan song for V8s, you got to make sure you, you've, you've done the V8 justice and you've sent, right. sent it out on top and, and I personally hope, and I, I, I speak for many uh, advocates of uh, Mustang, I, I personally hope that the V8s are uh, not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, but that's, uh, you know, you never know. And uh, yeah, we certainly felt the weight of, let's make sure we get this right because, you know, that we may or may not have a chance to do it again. 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, I'm very excited to see what the public response is. I'm very excited to maybe get a chance to drive it myself. But, you know, the last thing I'd love to circle back on, uh, you know, is, is something that you talked about across your description of your kind of career journey. But you had very two very key mentors in Bob and, and, and Dave at different points in your career that championed your kind of career progression and, and presented opportunities for you, you know, in terms of some of the things that you got to work on. And as you were develop, you know, building those relationships with them, were you conscious of the potential impact they might be able to have for you, or they were they organic relationships that that kind of developed over time? You know, a lot of organizations facilitate that sort of mentorship relationship uh, between leaders and and folks that work under them, and you know, often in today's world, across any industry or any profession, having that sort of champion is a huge unlock for somebody in their career. And it was it something you were conscious of? And and then do you do that now for folks on your teams? Yeah. So, um, so definitely in my early days, I was a complete idiot about that. I had, I had no idea. Like I, I <laughs> didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. Um, I would have told you that, um, you're judged on the quality of your work. Um, and you know, it was more about a task-based approach than it was, um, a, uh, a human-based approach. And, um, it's really through my journey, uh, that I've learned, uh, that, uh, relationships network, um, is by far and away the most important element of your success of your career journey and getting to where you want to go and, and having people help you. It's, it's, I personally wasn't smart enough or talented enough where I was going to get here on my own. I, I was going to need some help. And, um, that's, that's been very impactful on me because now as I turn around and mentor yeah, uh, people, um, so I was, I guess when I was you know, going through my journey, I was assigned say formal mentoring, sort of forced mentoring, right? Yeah. And um, what I found in those is, is a lot of people um, had different ways of looking at a career journey, but in many cases it was, here's what I've done. Um, and this is sort of a roadmap for you. You know, do what I, here's my footsteps, go follow them. Um, when I look at my career journey, I would never in a million years tell anybody that this is the path to get to a uh, chief engineer of Mustang or Ford performance. Right. And um, if you were to sit down and write out a career plan for whatever that's worth, um, you know, my, my journey was so far removed from that. Um, so it really is about um, the relationships and people and, and how, how I now ha- uh, communicate that, to young people, early career people is as, as you look at your future and you, you try to figure out what you want to be one, be flexible to the idea that that may change over time. And as you, as you learn about yourself and you learn about the environment you're in that, you know, where you, where you fit, uh, may change, uh, two, um, I've really found, I've done a lot of different things and I find that doing things that I am good at, at least I think I'm good at, um, I feel like I can contribute a lot more and yeah. I, I get a lot of satisfaction out of contributing, uh, to a team. 
I like, I love working with a team. I hate working independently. Yeah. Uh, and I like contributing to a team. So I like, you know, to be useful. Um, three, when I talk to a young person, um, I highly recommend that they understand um, how leaders operate in the company and that they, they observe everybody and that they role model behaviors that, um, that they think fits with, with their approach, being genuine and authentic to themselves. But you can learn as much from working for a great boss as you can from a bad boss. Uh, yeah. you, you, you certainly learn and you can apply. Um, and then lastly, when, when you have the opportunity to move, uh, either get promoted within an, any organization or move laterally within an organization for development, it's more about the people that you're going to work with and for than it is the content of what you're going to do. Like right. For me, it's, um, you know, you could have put me in any engineering discipline. I would have known equally little about all of them probably. <laughs> um, but I would have been most effective, you know, in an environment where I, uh, I, I fit into the team and um, I was working for people that inspired me and coached me and uh, taught me. Um, and if they had enough career runway left where they could then help me through my career, that's even better yet. Right. So, yeah. I mean, those are sort of my takeaways. That's what I would share in a, uh, in a mentoring session, which I try to do as much as possible. Um, I'm also one to tell someone, um, take whatever I tell you, uh, as data, but not fact. Yeah. Talk to as many people as you can and come to your own conclusions around, uh, what you believe and what you don't believe, but, uh, don't ever take what, uh, what I'm telling you as, um, as you know, science. It's just my, my perspective, my view of the beach ball, uh, from where yeah. I sit now. And, uh, you need to understand as many of those views as possible. And the earlier in the career, you can do that. The far more informed you'll be around managing your career progression. Absolutely. Some incredibly powerful, I think, takeaways in, in what you just shared and applicable across, I think, any industry and any profession in that industry. And I think what excites me most in, in how you describe it is just how humble you are in how you reference to your own abilities. And, and obviously, they're exceptional given the, the products that you've been part of and the career progression you've had. But uh, I, I think incredibly applicable what you just shared and, and across there as well as across the this whole conversation. So, you know, Ed, on that note, I mean, this has been incredibly fruitful and, and hugely appreciative of your willingness to come on the podcast, uh, obviously a legend and uh, part of some legendary products and excited to see, you know, how the new Mustang uh, hits the, hits the, hits the tarmac in the coming months when people get behind the wheel and, um, and how it evolves from there. So thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast. All right. Let me know when you're in Detroit and we'll take you for a spin in a new Mustang. All right. I will take you up on that. Thank you. All right. Thank you for the opportunity.